Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Good morning and welcome to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. I'm Kendra Petroni and today we're talking with Dr. Fatima Watt. She's the Director of Behavioral Health Services at Franciscan Children's. Dr. Watt provides therapeutic services to underserved populations, including low-income, medically and psychiatrically complex, and racially diverse youth and families. We're talking with her about a really interesting study done on the positive and negative uses of social media among teens who've been hospitalized for suicidal behavior. It's such an interesting topic. We're thrilled to have her on the show this morning. Good morning, Dr. Watt. Welcome. Good morning. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm so happy to have you. I know you're, you are so, so busy, so we are going to get right to it. Tell us a little bit about yourself, where you grew up, and how you ended up in such an incredibly important field and career. <laughs> um, so I actually grew up right here in Massachusetts. Springfield is my hometown, born and raised. Um, I went to college at Northeastern University in Boston and then went down to Atlanta for grad school at the Georgia School of Professional Psychology. Um, I've always been committed to working with um, children and youth, and um, a lot of it has to do with my upbringing and the community that I grew up in, um, and just really recognizing and seeing the need for mental health services. Um, when I took my very first psychology class, I was in love, and I knew that this was the field for me. Um, so I'm, I'm happy to see the improvement in mental health services over the years um, and hoping that I can continue to contribute to advancement in mental health. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about, first of all, the pandemic and social media. And I have to say, I know I've got three kids. Before all of this started, I was already on track thinking they have had way too much screen time. They're on social media so much. And you know, I'm 38 years old, so for me growing up, like we went outside and played. And when the street lights came on, that's when we came home. Like we never were <laughs> on a screen. I, I think my mom actually had a bell on the, on the porch that she would ding, and I don't even know how we heard it, but that's how we knew to come home. And I think about my kids and social media and how much screen time they were already having before the pandemic. Getting into now with all the, the sort of mandates with that's how they are learning, that's how they have to talk to family. It got to be a lot. So this study that you did is, I think, so interesting. The positive and negative effects that social media is having on teens, and you know, many of them actually being hospitalized for, for suicide attempts. Talk a little bit about the study and what, what you found 
Um, so I want to say that um, this study was um, conducted jointly with um, Franciscan Children's, um, Rutgers University, and Harvard University, and it was recently published in the Journal of Adolescence. Um, I wasn't personally part of the study, and so I'm reporting um, for my very talented colleagues who pulled this off. <laughs> um, and so this, the study is extremely interesting um, because we know that um, in the United States, 13 to 18 year olds, 80% of them have their own smartphones and are daily users of social media apps. Mm -hmm. um, and so really looking at the connection about how mental health um, and how social media can have an impact on mental health, whether positively or negatively, I think is an area that's um, really of interest. Uh, so um, the study had three main findings, um, and this is from the perspective of suicidal adolescents. Um, and so the study really found that um, social technology use is associated with benefits as well as risks. A lot of the participants, most of the participants reported having a mixed experience, um, although some had digital lives that were either all positive or all negative. Um, second thing that was really noticeable in the study was that a number of the risks that were documented um, we know that are, they're potentially modifiable. We can make uh, changes um, to the risk that these adolescents have identified. Um, and then the third main takeaway from the study was that adolescents reported experiencing upsides of abstaining from social technology use during their inpatient hospitalization. Um, and so I think that was um, also a very interesting finding, and I certainly can go into more um, details about any of those findings that you want to hear more about. Yeah, explain that a little more. I mean, I'm fascinated by every every part of this study because it's as a mom, and I mean, my oldest daughter is ten, but it's it's still it's super. I mean, they're getting younger and younger where they're being involved with social media and their access. I mean, she knows about things and she's finding things on there and seeing and reading things that I don't even know how to find. So, anything you want to elaborate on, absolutely go ahead. Yeah, I'm in the same boat with you. I. Um my oldest is seven, my youngest is five. And so they're not quite on social media yet, but they're very much into the iPads and YouTube yep, yep. and social technology. And like you, I was very concerned about their use before the pandemic. And now their use is just astronomical since the pandemic. Yep. Um, so I, I definitely share the same concerns as a parent of young children. Um, so what I want to highlight is um, some of the risks that adolescents pointed out for themselves and some of the benefits. So in terms of benefits, adolescents reported um, that social technology provided them with social connection, social support, and they were able to access um, positive enhancing content such as like how to deal with anxiety, what are strategies for improving your mood, that sort of thing. Um, some of the risks that were uh, found was that um, a lot of Adolescents engaged in self-denigrating comparisons, so comparing themselves, whether that was intentional or unintentional, to other people and other things that they're seeing on social media. Coming across encounters that um, are perceived as triggering, meaning they're, they're upsetting and they maybe um, flash an adolescent back to something that was negative in their lifetimes. Right. Um, and adolescents were also subject to cyberbullying. It's so scary, you know, and I ask this to so many people, but what should we be looking out for as parents when, when we're monitoring our kids' use of social media? 
Yeah. So the two things that I, I really think about when it turn, when it comes to monitoring use is the amount of time a person is spending on social media while we're talking about kids. This is also true for adults. Too much media, including social media, is not good for anyone. And one of the things that came out of this study were adolescents pointing out that they really felt like um, social technology was almost an addiction and they had a really hard time kind of modifying and changing their behavior as needed. Um, because they felt so drawn into checking how many likes they have or um, how many streaks they have or whatever the case yeah. may be. Yeah. And so I think one of the main factors is really watching and helping your child um, have interests outside of social technology um, and making sure that um, it's not just about the quantity, but also the quality of what they're being exposed to. So really monitoring them while they're on social media and afterwards are they seem seeming more agitated are they seeming more depressed um, are they happy because they've connected with someone and received support and so really understanding how is my child functioning while they're using social media and after social media do i need to intervene here because i can see that it's having a negative impact on them um, and really helping your child monitor how much time they're spending and being able to find other activities outside of social technology i love those are all great tips you know one thing that i started to do in my house was just not fully charge their ipads or their phones <laughs> like, and i know that's a sneaky probably lazy thing to do but when they would go to sleep i would do the you know, I'd plug everything in, charge everything the night before. And this isn't counting their, com you know, their computers or their books they get or the computers they get for school for remote learning, but their fun stuff, the iPads, the phones, I wouldn't charge it. I would leave it at, you know, maybe 30% or 25% or so that when the battery ends, which it pretty, it goes pretty quickly for time-wise, for the, the timing issue of it, it would sort of do the work for me. And I would just say, well, oh, that's dead. I guess we have to, now we're going to go outside and play or do something else. So, you know. Yes, that is brilliant. I love that. And I often will tell parents of adolescents um, kind of to do something similar, like the device may be theirs, but the electricity is yours. And so don't right. charge it all the way. And when it dies, well, that's done. Yep. <laughs> um, so I think that's a great recommendation. You know, aside from social media, what is the overall importance of mental health for kids? I mean, mental health in general in this country, we really need to take a deeper dive into it and fix the problems that we have and pay attention to the mental health issues in this country. But what, what are some of the major warning signs of mental health issues in kids or adults in general that we should be looking out for? Absolutely. Um, mental health is extremely important. It is equally as important to physical health. How we cope and manage with stressors as children has an impact on how we function as adults. Um, and we know that when children have these adverse experiences, it can really lead to chronic health issues as adults, heart disease, stroke, cancer, diabetes. Um, and so it's really important that we are monitoring our kids for mental health issues and that we're getting them intervention and support early on um, rather than waiting um, for it to become too severe. And in general, um, I usually will tell parents to really look for changes in your child's typical behavior. You know your child extremely well. And so if you're seeing changes, they're eating too much or eating too little, sleeping too much or sleeping too little, they're not socializing like they used to, they're not playing with peers, um, they're not reaching developmental milestones, um, you're your child is not um, gaining the skills that you would expect them to gain uh, at, their at their age. 
Um, all of that uh, can be signs of a mental health difficulty, social challenges, academic challenges, all of those things can be signs that there may be a mental health issue. Um, and if you're really not sure, you can always reach out to um, a clinician, a professional to say, my child's doing this, I don't know what to make of it. And they can, you know, give you some feedback on how concerned you should be like, yes, this is typical development, don't worry. Or actually, this is concerning, let's address it now. Yeah. How is the pandemic affecting mental health issues among kids? Is it, are there, are you seeing more negative or positive outcomes as a result of the pandemic? Definitely, unfortunately, more negative outcomes. And it, it is, it's sort of been in waves, but at this point in the pandemic, we're definitely seeing an explosion of mental health challenges among children and youth. Um, actually, I'm not sure I've seen anything like this in the past in terms of the mental health crisis for children and youth right now. We're definitely seeing increased anxiety, increased um, depression, increased um, self-harm and suicidal ideation. We've seen um, a lot more actual suicide attempts, um, especially in adolescents. Um, and, and I think a lot of that is related to um, just we've lost so much. Our kids have right. lost so much in this pandemic. Yeah. Our usual support, school, church, community centers are largely unavailable. And for adolescents, especially, your peer support is sort of your whole identity and how you sort of learn to function and navigate in the world. And so much of that has been taken away from them. Um, and so all of those things have really impacted the mental health of our youth. Let's, let's talk about that for a second, too, because I have young kids and I live in a town that's actually been, since October, we've been back five days, full days, everybody obviously wearing masks, socially distancing. Um, but how has the school closures affected kids and mental health, you know, through this pandemic? And what's, what's your take on that with kids, the importance of kids getting back into the classroom and, and how it can affect, you know, their overall health? I think school closures have had an extremely major impact on um, kids' mental health, not just, um, you know, school provides structure, routine, predictability, all of that helps us to feel calm um, and feel confident in our day-to-day -day activities. School provides a safe space in terms of food security, in terms of access to adults that you know you can communicate with and that provide you with support. Um, for young children especially, there's not quite a relationship like the one that you have with your teacher, and that's really hard to replicate, especially as a parent. Um, and so all of these things, again, are losses for our children. Um, not having school open definitely creates um, additional loss for, for students. Um, but I, I understand, and there's this balance of trying to manage safety with wanting to get kids back into the school building. Um, and for some kids, the idea of going back to school has been extremely stressful. Um, so they live with grandparents or other people um, in their extended family. They have family members who are sick. They're worried about becoming sick themselves. Um, they're worried about what happens if someone gets too close to me. And so it's, it's certainly the balance. There are the stressors from not being in school, but the transition back to school also creates stressors. If you're just waking up and tuning in, you're listening to Exceptional Women on Magic 106.7. And we've been talking with Dr. Fatima Watt. She's the Director of Behavioral Health Services at Franciscan Children's. Since 1949, Franciscan Children's has served children and adolescents with complex medical, mental health, and educational needs. They are the only pediatric post-acute provider in New England, and many times they tackle the challenges that others can't or won't. 
let's get back to our conversation. So let's, let's switch gears just a little bit and talk a little bit more about Franciscan Children's and the, the mental health services that you do provide for children. Talk about that for a little bit, if you can. Absolutely. So at Franciscan Children's, we have um, a continuum of care. And so we have an acute inpatient unit for kids that are um, actively suicidal or trying to harm themselves. Um, a step down from that program is our CBAT unit, community-based acute treatment unit, and it's a short-term residential program. And so either kids will step down to that program from an inpatient unit or they'll step up from the community as a way to divert them from having to go into an inpatient hospital. Um, and then the step down from that, we have our outpatient services. Um, so in outpatient, we provide um, therapy, individual therapy, group therapy, um, and family therapy. We do psychological and neuropsychological assessments. We provide consultations to schools and families. Um, we also have a school-based program. It's called um, Children's Wellness Initiative, CWI. Um, and through that program, we have social workers that are um, located in the Boston public schools, and they provide mental health services directly in the schools, which really helps to increase access because we're, we're providing the services right where the students are. We also have um, medication management. And so both as part of our outpatient clinic and part of our school program, we have a psychiatrist um, who sees families and kids for medication if that's needed. And I want to give out the website as well. It's franciscanchildrens.org. So if anybody listening wants to find out more or get in touch with you, it's franciscanchildrens.org. And I, you know, I wanted to ask you because I, you know, I mentioned I have three children. I have two boys, uh, both diagnosed uh, with autism. And at the beginning of this pandemic, I mean, in general, any parent that has a child with special needs or high needs, you're already overwhelmed and stressed and nervous as are any parent. But mm -hmm. I was absolutely terrified at the beginning of this because, you know, my kids, they're seven and eight years old. They have major sensory issues. I was so afraid they would never wear masks. They don't they have no idea what social distancing is. It doesn't matter to them. You could explain it a thousand times over, three feet, six feet. It doesn't. They have no idea what that means. And they yep. walk right up to people in the store. So when I have to do errands or, or go out and function in life, I have to leave them at home because they'll take off their masks out of frustration or discomfort. And if anybody else around me doesn't quite understand, I feel like I have to almost wear a t-shirt to say, you know, my child right. is autistic. Please don't, you know, don't think anything of it. But, you know... It's a crazy thought, but it's it's a scary world that we're kind of in right now. What what kind of long-term effects are you seeing regarding kids on the spectrum or children that may have special needs or developmental delays because of this pandemic and what we've sort of been forced to do with um, restrictions? Yeah. Um, one of the biggest concerns for this population, uh, for me anyway, is regression. I've seen a lot of kids who have gained some really nice skills. Um, they've learned to communicate, they've learned to express their thoughts and feelings. And now through the pandemic, there's so much less opportunities to practice those skills. Um, a lot of the services, um, ABA services that might have been provided in the home were suddenly stopped. And so it, it's had a profound impact on, on individuals who are not neurotypical in particular, because suddenly their whole world has changed. Like you said, they don't understand why. Um, and so one of the things we worked hard to do was to 
um, create social stories or to access social stories that were written about um, coronavirus and COVID-19. Social stories are basically um, scripted stories that kind of help the person understand what to expect, why we do certain things. And so our first um, kind of thing we wanted to jump to was having access to these stories so that we can help parents explain to their children um, what's happening. We um, are very fortunate to have a board certified behavior analyst on staff. Um, and he worked really hard to create a protocol so that we could help um, families that were trying to get their children to wear masks. So whether you have a two or three year old who's not tolerating it, you have an older child with autism or Down syndrome or whatever the disability may be, um, he created a protocol so parents could practice with their children at home um, so they can start wearing their masks more uh, effectively um, and for longer periods of time. And we had a lot of success with that protocol as well. Um, okay. Of the things we've also, started doing at Franciscans is providing a lot of support to parents. Um, and so we started a number of parent support groups that we're doing right now through telehealth um, because we actually recognized pretty early on that the more support we provided to parents, the better off their children were functioning. Whatever their, whether their child was typical or parents were under such amounts of duress, even now. And so we're finding that the more we can support parents, um, the better off uh, our children are overall. That's great. I love hearing you say that because that, that makes me feel better because I thought in the beginning, oh my God, am I failing at everything? Am I doing this all wrong? What? Please tell me that other people feel overwhelmed and stressed and have no idea what day it is or what they're supposed to do. I mean, especially at the beginning with remote learning and when you have young children, like you said, I think any chance to help parents and ease, ease their mind first, they can then pass that on to their kids and, and hopefully help you know, in any way they can. I, Absolutely. When, when do you think we'll be back to normal, face-to-face, -face functioning as we were prior to 2020? Do you, you know, do you have any idea or inkling or intuition on when you think we might be back to some sort of normalcy? I mean, what I tell myself for my own coping, I know it's probably going to be at least another year or two. I try to, you know, push it out instead of saying, you know, by the summer we'll be back to normal right. and then to deal with feeling really disappointed about that. I'm thinking in my head, okay, one to two years, mm -hmm. it took us a long time to kind of get used to wearing masks and social distancing and the language and all of that. And I think it's going to take a similar amount of time to undo these habits, to really go back to how we were prior to 2020. And so um, I think we're all going to have to be patient with ourselves and patient with our kids. I don't think it's going to suddenly be one day everything's back to normal. I think we're going to need to give ourselves time to transition back to whatever was normal for us prior to 2020. You know, we're almost out of time here. And I, I just wanted to ask, because your, your job is a hard one and it's a very important one, you know, what you're doing every single day to help others. Is there somebody in your life that is your inspiration, maybe your positive inspiration for you to get up every day, go after what you want to accomplish and, and to feel good inside? Is there somebody that, that's sort of your, your hype man or woman every day to get you going? Um, honestly, I feel like that's probably my dad. You know, he's, he's an incredible man and he's just been through so much in his life and he never lets it bring him down. He always tries to stay positive. He texts us every morning, um, good morning. And so I like, I look forward to that morning text that I'm like, okay, all is right with the world, even though all is wrong with the world. <laughs> I have this little semblance of normalcy. And so I, I feel like that person is probably my dad. <laughs>
Well, that's all. I love that. That's great. And you know what? I've loved having you on this show. You are doing such incredible work. I, I appreciate your time. I know that you're so busy. And, and honestly, every tip and piece of advice that you have given us on this show, I hope everybody listening takes it, uses it. I know I'm going to. Um, for anyone that's listening that wants to find out more about Franciscan Children's, you can go right to their website. It's franciscanchildrens.org. You can find them on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. On Instagram, they're at Franciscan Children's, and we'll put a link on our website as well. Uh, Dr. Watt, thank you so much for everything that you're doing, honestly. As a, as a mother of three children, young children, children with special needs, high needs, I am so grateful to you and the work that you do every day. And I'm so happy that, that Franciscan Children's did this study on the effects of social media. I think it's so important. And I'm so happy that we got to share it today on the show. You really are exceptional. And it was an honor speaking with you today. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you to Dr. Fatima Watt for being in the spotlight today on Exceptional Women. We talk to celebrities and CEOs, but we're also interested in talking with your neighbors, coworkers, and friends who are quietly making an impact in their communities. Go to magic1067.com and email us if you know someone you'd like to recommend to be featured on our show. And you can follow us on Instagram at sue.tab and at Kendra the Entertainer. We love hearing from you and be sure to join us every Sunday morning for another edition of Exceptional Women. Have a great day, everyone.